So what are the real truth and what are the real consequences of virtual versus real capacity constraints and congestion? My name is Chris Joslin and welcome to Jaws Bites. Again, everybody, it's Chris Joslin coming to you directly for another edition of Jaws Bites, sponsored as always by www.ilevellogistics.com, coming across your screen probably as we speak right now. And our mandate, of course, is to try to simplify things, to try to bring supply chain transportation logistics kind of out of the shadows into the mainstream and made it make it understood the importance, the level of importance that. Everything supply chain has to do with consumers in general, but us as a public, both those that are part of the the market and the industry itself and those that aren't. Because we are really looking to try to generate the an understanding of this industry in a way that the next generation that comes along can bring to it solutions to bring us fully into this century. There are so many different things going on that have not enabled us to do that thus far. And there's things that seem very antiquated in how we go about doing transportation and and understanding the, the little individual links in that entire supply chain. That the purpose of this series and the purpose really of a lot of the aggregation and curation that we do on the website is to try to look to the next generation, educate, and allow this to be understood as an important element in our lives today. Today, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what I call a virtual capacity crunch, the consequences or the truth behind it and the consequences of that. Now, VR is something that's uh, in the public's consciousness today, virtual reality, that is. And, And I think it's appropriate to talk about transportation logistics and the capacity crunch, both in terms of what's happening in the continental United States is what's also happening worldwide uh, for capacity availability, both real and virtual. And and to define that a little further, I just want to get into this a little bit. There there are extreme elements seasonally, uh, network-wide balances, et cetera, that create real capacity issues within the supply chain. There are steamship lines, there are uh, 40 foot and 20 foot FEU and TEUs that come internationally all over the world. There are trucks, truck capacity to pick those up. There are chassis availabilities in pools, both designated as universal or, you know, uh, uh, pop uh, pools that supply international chassis sizes and domestic chassis sizes to go on containerized shipments, whether international, domestic, domestic 53 footers generally. There are a lot of things that go in to the complications of a supply chain in general. And those pieces have to fit together in a fairly neat package. It's it's not always neat. And that's why people like us exist in the transportation world and in pour through the analytics and try to come up with new network solutions 
to help when things like this occur. But typically in any industry, you, you can't really, as the old saying goes, you can't build the church for Easter. If you do that, you have a giant church and during most of the year, except maybe Christmas and Easter, you don't have a lot of people in that church. Maybe that's a good analogy, maybe it's a bad analogy, but it really fits overall. So when you have an infrastructure in general, a national infrastructure or worldwide infrastructure that that requires of it to have some fluidity, to be able to get products, raw materials or finished goods or any combination thereof into and out of production areas geographically or consuming areas geographically, you have to have balance. You have to have enough capacity, real capacity. And I'm talking physical containers, physical chassis, physical trucks, physical truck drivers to, to drive those trucks. All those things have to be connected in such a way as to facilitate the overall supply chain's ability to, to bring you as a consumer and I as a consumer what we need and what we want. That's how the world works. That's how a lot of different things works. Where we're talking about things like vaccinations and the, or, or the cold supply chain or dry freight or anything in between. There are, there are, as I like to say in a previous podcast, they talked about planes, trains, and automobiles in terms of security, but that's kind of, kind of the way you have to think about things in simple terms in terms of in, in, in aspect of delivering goods and services. So there, there is real capacity crunches that occur because there's a basic economics of supply and demand. When demand goes way up, supply tries to meet that demand. And if supply is generated in a place that is distant from where the demand is, then it has to be transported somehow, shape or form. So there has to be assets of different types and utilization of space in different ways to get those supplies and goods and finished to the markets and the consumers they need. There's a million different ways to do that. We could talk full podcasts about a whole bunch of those different ways. But for today, what I wanted to focus in on was the truth about capacity and congestion in general. Some of the things that are going on in the world today, both internationally and and domestically, and then the consequences of those and whether it's real or whether it's a virtual um, issue overall. The reality is it's a combination of those. I'll I'll skip to the the end here in, in terms of the answer. It's always a combination of real and virtual. And that has to do with with how things get um congested, whether it's in international ports, domestic ports, uh, rail terminals, uh, geographic truck areas, consuming areas versus producing areas, et cetera. But, you know, you can look to a couple of different key, key things to try to give you a broad scope view of what's happening. You know, the, I'm, I'm here on the West Coast and the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles is the primary conduit in which international goods from Asia come into the United States and in through either a land bridge or through rail furtherance or some kind of combination of, of offload, onload, and consolidate, deconsolidation, consolidation process, it moves to where it needs to go in full container load capacity, typically to begin with. But as of right now, there are about 13 containers that the container ships with probably 15 to 20,000 TEUs each, that's 20 foot equivalent units each, 
sitting on those containers, anchored off waiting to be um, uh, put into the, they're waiting in line to be offloaded. And they're, so they're anchored out in the harbor. You can see pictures of that go online, see pictures of that over across the last six months or so. And it was up into the, the 40s anchored off. There's 13 at the moment with another, you know, 12 coming in this week and getting in line. So currently there's a consequence of about five, almost six days of time between anchorage and birthing space. That's compared to, you know, that's a, a, a full day more than it was in early June. We're in late June right now. And it was at its maximum about eight days in early April. So that's a, a tremendous difference than, than the way it is now. But that's, there's a, a tremendous sense of urgency to get these things offloaded and get, get uh, some fluidity back into the, the system. And that is, that's not going to change for a while. That's going to continue. The, the uh, international freight coming out of China, there is, there is a extreme lack of um, containers in East Asia. Um, that need to be loaded with goods that the consumers in this country want and consumers in Europe as well. So that is, that is a problem that's going to continue for quite some time. Most people believe it'll be into 2022 before things really loosen up to a point that we can call it normal, if you will. Uh, but that, that is a, a physical problem to begin with. So we'll start there. It is a physical problem of lack of containers where they need to be loaded and how how long I think I, I went into this on a, a previous co- podcast <clears throat> where we talked about how many empty containers are going back to Asia versus loaded here. Now there's an economic consequence to that for all countries involved because there's trade deficits that that are exacerbated by these these kinds of issues. But the but the reality is is in unless we can manage this process and clear up this congestion and get the flow of, of required assets to where they need to be, this will continue to occur. It, the, the way to fix these kind of things is a twofold scenario. Maybe I'll skip that for right now and get into that in just a little bit. But the, the sense of urgency is not just limited to international ports of, of entry or, or exit. The railheads, the BNSF and the UP Railroad, two of the top class one railroads in the United States, you can look at different terminals throughout their network. Uh, Chicago is a good, for instance, the BNSF has implemented additional rail storage charges for when uh, containers are ready to be taken out of the rail. They're notified and ready to go, but they're running into some huge problems. They're, They're up about almost 9% for the same period last year, with, uh, April to May, like a two-month period. And UP is up, Union Pacific is up about 26% for that same time period. That's a huge increase in domestic freight. Now, that that will contain, those, those types of trains contain both domestic 53-foot containers and international cans as well. But overall, these require a certain length of train, which is limited by union constraints and, and dictates for safety in, in the, uh, the rail transportation segment. And they're dictated by the amount of well cars, which is how you stack containers 
one on top of another or two on the bottom in the well and one on top, et cetera. It's how you get things moving and, and create enough density with a rail move to fill its capacity from one uh, metropolitan area to another. Now there, the BNSF has gone so far as to eliminate some of the trackage that it has in, in some of its facilities in Chicago to create more additional space to store containers. So you can see how this is a compounding effect that occurs. Now, the, the, the truth of it, uh, on the truth and consequences side, the truth of these situations is that whether it's the UP, whether it's road, whether it's international, whether it's the, the chassis, uh, which we'll get into in a minute as well, these things, ha you have to have a physical number that at the very minimum matches the flow of freight into or out of an area so that these components can be put together so that you can have enough trucks and enough drivers to, to deliver and pick up in the areas you need to. You have enough chassis to mount right away these containers onto chassis for exit from the rail terminals or the ports of entry or uh, exit the international ports. When those things do not match, then there's delays. And if there's a delay that can't be fixed with any kind of uh, in any kind of expedited nature, then there's a, a snowball effect. There's a consequential effect to that truth, and which is circular and creates a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. Now, uh, going into the chassis thing, for instance, you know, chassis pools, containers are basically trailers without the wheels. That's in, in layman's terms, that's what you look at. They're constructed to be a little more versatile, to be both international and domestic. They're constructed to be able to be stacked on top of each other, that thus the term stack train. And but when they either go onto a rail network or come off of one, or go onto a steamship line or come off of one, they have to be decoupled or coupled onto a chassis, which is the wheels, so that it can be taken over the road to wherever it's origin or destination is. This is normal procedure for the last 35, 40 years in, in, uh, in most countries. And to do that, there's been typically about a three to one, two and a half to one ratio containers to chassis. You have to have that much more chassis stationed in uh, situated in places that they're going to be needed for those containers to be put onto those chassis and consequently for pickups or deliveries. So when that imbalance is off, when trade imbalances are one way, or when, when pandemics hit and in other circumstances come around where there's situations that the, the chassis are, um, the situation is exacerbated. And then you, you add, so that's the, that's the real chance. So, so you could make it a five to one ratio perhaps. But then you have to have the storage yard to be able to put those chassis into place uh, in, in weight. Now, there's, there's another element to that, uh, to all of this, really. And that is how we apply the factor of time to this. That's why when I started this, this brief podcast, I mentioned virtual reality, virtual capacity constraints, virtual congestion. And what I really mean by that is not that it's not happening, not that it's not real. It's just that it's all being exacerbated and made much larger than 
the physical elements would you would judge by putting it on paper. Um, a great example is ELD mandate, the electronic log data the mandate over the last couple of years has taken out of the equation the ability for Draymond, for instance, whether it's Fort Draymond or terminal, rail terminal Draymond, it takes out of the equation their ability on a daily basis to pick up uh, a, another load or another portion of a load or an empty. And it, it creates a situation where to, to provide efficiency as a trucking company, there will need to be a way to rework how hours of service are looked at, engaged on an individual trucker basis. That's creating a virtual capacity problem for truck drivers. So in other words, if that truck driver is one hour less efficient per day out of their eight to 10 to 12 hour day, you can see what kind of percentage that affects. Let's say it, it affects 10% of their efficiency level on a base, baseline. That creates 10% less opportunity for the network as a whole to either pick up or deliver. Containers, chassis, move stuff around, terminate empties, whatever the case may be, 10%. So to fill that gap, you either need 10% more drivers with 10% more trucks with 10% more chassis, or you end up with the problems we have today. That is layered across the top of the reality of balance. When networks get out of balance, when that, that ratio of chassis in one area is seven to one, but it's pulled chassis from an area that used to be three to one chassis, now it's a one to one, and any kind of disruption in the network, any kind of seasonal adjustment for retail or sh internal shipments or any adjustment, you know, one day sailing adjustment or anchorage adjustment off the coast of, of Los Angeles ports creates a, I, I think on the highways, they call it the accordion effect, right? When you, when you slam on your brakes, you're creating an effect that someone else behind you is going to have to do that in, in it. And it, it creates a slowdown effect in the transportation time it takes you to get from one point to another. And the same is in the logistics industry. And it shouldn't be looked at any other way than that. So that is the virtual side of it. You know, the, the it, chassis is probably one of the biggest things today that I see is, is problematic because there is a, a cascading effect that occurs when you're when you slow down your ability to be, to be efficient. And now ultimately the consequence of all this is prices go way up because the first fallback position for any company or any industry in general is to throw money at something to, to help overcome the constraints that the market or the regulate regulators or the balance of the network has applied to your industry. So that's what we're seeing right now. That's why we're seeing the vessels from Asia having markups on them three, four times higher than a normal quote unquote shipping rate would be from a couple of years ago. That's going to be adjusting even higher. Currently it is, it is the middle of June or almost the end of June. And there have been rail surcharges in place, depending on your agreements with 
the, the, the underlying railroads up to what I've seen is about a $1,500 per move charge. And that does not include the rising cost of fuel. That does not include uh, renting chassis. That does not include storage at the, at the rail ramps that don't have the space to provide for your containers, which they are now not putting on chassis from the, the designated uh, pool, of, the pool of pools is what they call a pop chassis pool. They're actually stacking them on top of each other in the ground. And the UP is not even allowing private, in some places, not allowing private uh, truckers to bring in their own tra- uh, their own chassis for flipping the containers onto those chassis. So the problem's not going away anytime soon. And the main way that we're going to lessen the impact of this is for, for all of these companies to, like I said a moment ago, throw money at this problem to eliminate, not eliminate, because that won't happen, but definitely lessen the impact of this. And as I started to say a moment ago, that all that really means is that the cost of whatever you're buying is going to go up. Not just the cost of the transportation to do all these components, but there has to be an entire reevaluation of the ratios of capacity, the real capacity that goes into the network to allow the virtual capacity to catch up. And technology is one of the things that's going to help overcome a lot of this. And we can get into that in in quite a bit of detail, of course. But the urgency of the moment is that everybody is looking at this and going back to their primary position. And that is... We have these assets, especially those that own these assets. We have a certain amount of assets and we're going to capitalize on this. And let's say there's a gap to fill this gap and to get the efficiency to to smooth out the ruffles of the imbalances that are out there. They need to mark something up 20%. But that means you're going to have to expect a 30 or a 40% markup. I will predict that this season, this peak season, which is starting usually in August or so. Number one, it's already begun. But during the the real crunch of the peak season, which is September, October, November, you're going to see in areas like the West Coast, probably $5,000 rail surcharges on top of a normal rate. And so the people that are able to absorb those kind of charges, typically the very large companies, are going to succeed on doing the most important part of any retailer's bottom line. And that's get their product in front of and expose the consumer ahead of their competitors. So get it on the shelf. A lot of things are not physical shelves now, but you know, if, if something has no quantity left when you're trying to buy it online, that is the shelf. So that's what I see coming. That's what I see happening right out there, out there right now with, the capacity uh, crunch that's out there via the chassis, via the congestion that's at ports of any kind that you want to talk about. And with the regulatory constraints that are being put on the market through uh, a tightening of how we're controlling for valid reasons, controlling the way the truckers, which is the touch point with the customer, associate with with all of this. So I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. 
we will get into this in depth. Maybe we'll take one or two of these subjects and try to point at it in a more direct way. But uh, this is just a, a, a short little conversation for the day to get out there some of the thoughts and, and feelings I had on this and make everybody realize that there, there, is, there, there are truth about real asset capacity issues and there are consequences for understanding that we're out of balance and that we need to look at the virtual capacity, our ability to expose a shorter amount of time to the transportation environment. That is what allows us to have the real capacity work within the supply chain the way we have in the past. We'll get back there. It's just going to take a while and it's going to be very painful on the way. I look forward to talking to you again very, very soon on the next edition of Jaws Bites. Come see us on our YouTube channel, Jaws Bites, J-O-Z-B-Y-T-E-S. Come see us at ilevellogistics.com, uh, as, as I mentioned, that comes across the screen. And uh, listen to our podcasts. We are trying to create a community to that understands the supply chain industry, the importance of it, and looks toward it as, as a challenge with, with problems that we have the ability, collective brain power to help solve. Thanks so much, and we'll be seeing you real soon.